<laughs> Extended clip. Uh, bonus feed. After hours. Episode two slash seven. And and real after hours style. We're all recording this in a hot tub right now. Yeah. Take nine because we can't fucking start the podcast right. But here we are. We're here to talk about Psycho Two. Everyone's favorite. Norman Bates. He's back in a big way. <laughs> Whoa. And you know what? It's not easy being a psycho. That's what we learn with this movie. It's not. You know, it's more about society. <laughs> no, um, this is a really interesting film. I'm really glad that JT brought this to the table. Uh, the tangential connection, of course, to this week's episode is that Richard Franklin is the director. He also directed Link. Uh, he's also a student of Hitchcock. So, you know, he's uh, deeply indebted to him making this, you know, remake of one of his classic films. And yeah, it's like a, it's an 80s slasher. It doesn't hold back on like the gore or the the new freedoms allowed by yeah. the, uh, the post uh, you know, production code sensors, uh, really indulging in all the new freedoms and, you know, treating uh, Psycho like the sleazy slasher that it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, one of my first, the reasons I was interested in this and Richard Franklin uh, is like, Psycho seems, it's like one of those movies that is in the zeitgeist that it's just like, I don't know. You, you talk to an old film head, they'd be like, oh, that Psycho's a classic. Why would you Why would you make a sequel to already a perfect movie? Um, but like the relationship that I have to Psycho 2 was really interesting because I, I rewatched Psycho in preparation for this, um, which obviously isn't necessary, but I like... I don't know, watching Psycho again for probably like the fourth or fifth time, it's like something where it's like, yeah, it's a great movie. I, I still really like it, but like I am, I feel really detached from a lot of the classic like imagery. It's like even like seeing Psycho only four times, like you see this shower scene parodied in so many things. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I don't know, the like if you're taking in pop culture and you're taking in images, like, you have seen Psycho in some representation, just like watching the first eight like seasons of The Simpsons. They have probably every other episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've probably parodied the like totality of the movie, and I, I don't know. There's that a weird uh, quality there where I feel like Psycho Two is engaging with that. Like Richard Franklin is a smart enough director where he understands the legacy of Psycho. And like, it's an interesting dialogue that happens between the two films where it's like by bringing that like updated slasher sensibility to it while also like, I don't know, respecting and like paying homage to the, the original, it like winds up being something really beautiful and like takes on the Norman Bates POV and a lot more like of a sympathetic light. And uh, I, I mean... I, I'm just going to jump right out the gate and say Psycho 2 is better than Psycho. Whoa. Damn. I'm not sure I agree, but I don't like staunchly disagree. I, I rated yeah. both at four out of five on Letterboxd. You know, I think they're doing very different things. I think there are Hitchcock films that further uh, delve into the parts of Hitchcock that I like, but obviously there's kind of no denying Psycho. But in terms of what i often like about cinema and it's like more i don't even want to say challenging because they become pleasurable 
uh, but the aspects of it where it seems like a film is butting up uh, against itself, you know, mm-hmm. and you have here a film that is in conversation with its original. It's not directly following it, but it's so easy to read all of the cultural comparisons, all of the formal comparisons, all of the uh, acting comparisons, the performance uh, comparing the portrayal of Norman Bates uh, in, you know, 1960 versus 1984, uh, 83 rather. And uh, yeah, also just, as we said, applying the 80s slasher tendencies to Hitchcock, it's kind of like what De Palma often does to Hitchcock. I mean, I did think about Brian De Palma quite a bit while I was watching this, where he's kind of, you know, uh, giving you all the stuff that Hitchcock wasn't allowed to show for better or for worse, potentially, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it, what it decides to, cause like, it, it, I think it's nasty. It's nastier in one way with, you know, the kills. We see the original actress from the movie. Is it Vera Miles? Yeah. She, I mean, she gets a, a brutal kill that like, I saw a lot of critics took umbrage with, said it was a little too disrespectful to the classics. Damn. Um, but in, in another ways, right, we see a much more sympathetic, portrayal of Norman Bates, a movie that's really uh, in tune with uh, his emotions and kind of uh, that's kind of the pulse of the movie. It's very attentive to that. And in a way, a a much less uh, problematic depiction of like mental illness. So it's kind of interesting. It's nastier in other ways, but in other ways, it's uh, it's, you know, it's speaking to the time. It's updating the the psycho, uh, you know. The psycho imagery and yeah. you know, kind of the format for a new era. Well, also in terms of updating it, I, I hate to be the guy that talks about dated movies, but even at the time, Psycho, it's like, you know, you, you look at what like pop psychology is and how it's represented in movies in like the uh, late 50s into the 60s and, you know, then in New Hollywood and like how big of a change that is from, you know, uh, Woody Allen talking about his analyst in every <laughs> fucking movie versus this where it's like uh, someone who needed psychiatric help. It's like, uh, you know, the, the killer. And it's like, well, it turns out the killer was a, what we call a transvestite and uh, he's a crazy person. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus Christ, uh, that that psychologist scene at the end of Psycho always rubs me the wrong way in a way that like it feels like what people usually complain about with classic hollywood uh you know not aging well and things like not playing in modern ways and that never bothers me but the end of psycho always fucking bothered me in that Mm -hmm. way you know i've seen it five six times over the last six years and it gets worse every time even if the rest of the movie gets better with every viewing because it's hitchcock and he's at the height of his powers but uh, I think this one, you switch that up, you you just end up at a shitty police station with like basically incompetent cops, and you have uh, a social worker who's supposed to you know uh, be taking care of uh, Norman Bates, and you know they say there's a line in the beginning like. Uh, they had cutbacks in the department and he was supposed to have a social worker watching over him 24 seven, but Hey, government cutbacks. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this, and this is of yeah. course a Reagan era horror movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was interesting about psycho too. And it's, it's like, it's, it explicitly states that like if Norman Bates had the correct care he had, he wouldn't be doing these things. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that the people, it's almost like a lot of the people in the movie are rooting for him to be the psycho again. They want uh-huh. him to go off. They miss the old Norman. There's a, I mean, a lot of the imagery, right, is uh, uh, that you see like kind of like how the knife returns and how he's so hesitant to use it. But it's, it's, uh, it's y- most of it is him just kind of resisting 
that uh him you know him going into the the dark place but people just keep pushing him and pushing him and pushing him yeah and like in terms of uh going like that relationship to him like veering back into darkness most of the murders that are committed in this movie are not by norman bates and it's not until like i mean it's everyone against him like goading him and like calling him a psychopath and like trying to manipulate him and play tricks on him that like ultimately lead him to like when this like character that emerges who's actually his mother it's just like he like it's it, so it, unbelievable when she shows up because of how much every character had been manipulating him. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that can't be a real character. And then she shows up. At the yeah. End. And one of the most shocking parts of the film. Yeah. And he goes, I mean, it's like he obviously repeats it, the cycle where yeah. he like he kills her again and just like fucking loses it and goes like back into that mode. And it's like it's a it's a dark ending but it's so sad too. Yeah. It's like throughout the whole movie, like you're definitely rooting for Norman Bates to like, I don't know, fucking break this and yeah. not like fall back into these old habits. I but mean, then everyone like is against him. Yeah. I mean, from the moment you see him in the courthouse in the beginning and Malcolm uh, referenced that this was a real courthouse that he had been in before. Yeah. Uh, a resident criminal, Malcolm. <laughs> yeah. Malcolm. <laughs> Under similar circumstances. <laughs> they caught me, they caught me speeding in Kern County. I had to travel two and a half hours to go to traffic court there. So I do remember. And now he has a state mandated job as a podcaster. <laughs> I'm doing hard time. I do like that Bates, you know, returns to his motel, but they make him get like a normal person job still. Yeah. uh, Which is like uh, the guy in Heat who, you know, has to work at the diner and gets called away. It's like uh, instead of Robert De Niro calling him away for a heist, it's just like his mother in his brain and everyone that's trying to goad him into becoming a serial killer again, uh, telling him to kill again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these kills are so fucking brutal. I mean, obviously, like we said, Hitchcock faced different censorship uh than franklin did obviously uh but like i don't know there's like an impalement with like the uh the guy who's watching over him once in a while he comes back at the end to try and help and he gets impaled with a knife there's a knife that goes through a throat pretty much like, yeah i think that's vera miles yeah yeah, vera, yeah, yeah 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 she gets the knife through the throat uh the very end with the, his mother she just gets whacked in the head with a fucking shovel mm-hmm. um you get dennis franz the first victim of the film uh dennis franz playing a sleazy uh motel manager taking over the Bates a motel. sex positive yeah very sex positive positive using it as a party motel oh uh, his bolo tie fucking yeah. rules yeah and also those like mysterious drugs that he had that looked like toys you got out of a <laughs> one of them machine. was poppers oh really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i noticed that's that's a logo that's coming back into fashion dennis friends you know not afraid to experiment in the party room <laughs> <laughs> but i mean in relationship to like i mean to el- elucidate more of the plot it's like he uh baits uh, is released and Veer Miles character is uh the sister of uh um Marion Crane who has it's implied uh married uh like Marion's uh ex boyfriend in psycho and uh they have a daughter uh now and the daughter goes to like live with Norman Bates because she has her own like sort of personal drama and uh Vera Miles is actively trying to make Norman look like a a murderer and a psychopath again to get him imprisoned. Yeah, and 
Uh, as the film goes on, uh, she starts to maybe not fall in love with Norman Bates, but <laughs> fall uh, into sympathy for Norman yeah. Bates. And, uh, you know, there's a murder with some teenagers. You know, you, you see quite an assemblage of bodies getting stacked in this movie in true 80s slasher fashion and you also get more of those like pov shots which you Mm -hmm. know hitchcock used point of view shots but not like in the classic slasher way yeah which franklin does here i mean obviously it's just teasing out the fact that psycho is like you know there there are proto slashers from before it but that's like kind of uh that at least and the uh michael prowell film that came out in the same year peeping tom are kind of like the urtexts for the slashers going into the 70s no the the young couple that sneaks into the basement to have sex smoke smoke weed smoke some dope um it's, a, it's such an intelligently uh, crafted scene, and I love the way it ends where the, the girlfriend gets out and through, like, this little flap window where there, there's, like, a bunch of logs that she, you know, climbs up, and, like, this logs these logs fall for the boyfriend, and she, you know, the boyfriend gets killed by, um, I guess, the Vera Miles at this point, who's yeah. pretending to be Norman Bates, pretending to be his mother. Um, but then the way that's framed, like, the 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 boyfriend's like fingerprints smearing on the window and her like looking into it and, and running close away up on her foot on the log that yeah. she's using as a step rolling off of itself mm-hmm. as a step oh my god no yeah and like the framing as, as you see her run away from the scene you know and you're seeing it through this the streaky window it's just mm-hmm. money shot money shot oh, after yeah. money shot one after the other they keep piling up just like them bodies uh and i think there's something to the gap uh you know it's a long gap sequel it's one of the first like real like long multi-decade gap sequels and not unlike one of the faves of the pod twin peaks the return the multiple decades are felt you know both in terms of how um, the characters fit into contemporary culture and just like the weight of time passing and these things from the original text becoming iconic in our reality because the text itself was so iconic, but then also within the story, they feel iconic, like the knife, you know, in the shower. And there's even a peephole into the shower, which I feel like is an homage kind of. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of Hitchcockian homages, yeah, one of the first shots you get inside that house I thought it was like a scare and I thought someone was in there waiting for him. But in like the corner of the frame, you get a silhouette that I then went back and paused and it is like the classic Hitchcock silhouette. Yeah. And yeah. I just thought it was like a shadow of someone. I first <laughs> was like, oh, shit. The ghost uh, of Hitchcock is yeah, haunting this exactly. movie. Yeah. Doing his classic cameo, but scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, after the mother's revealed to be pulling the strings, you get a nice, uh, Definitely not a nice third act, a crazy (laughs) third act where Norman is just being jerked all over the place mentally and physically. And uh, a lot of blood is shed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it it ends up being that the uh, the mother daughter team that has been setting him up, you know, every single murder is accounted for as being them, even though at least one of them was Norman. And so uh, he is not healed, in fact. And the guy who was helping him heal uh, is also dead. <laughs> and uh, then he kills his real mother. And it's just like, yeah, as we said, he goes back to live in large, Norman Bates style. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like the social commentary like present there, I mean, it's like it 
makes sense that like the only force that Norman can fall back on is like an abusive mother figure because it's like so much of like him reintegrating into society is like people like um like being angry at him for his previous crime and yeah. like uh, uh, it's assuming that he's going to repeat that again like the social worker not being able to be present like entirely and then even like the the very like funny sort of aspect of the bumbling police being like oh he's yeah. just a good old boy he's <laughs> like he's fine now like go on home norman you're all right no i mean i think it's very interesting you know how the character of norman is portrayed throughout this movie because there's some there's some moments where you think you know he knows what's going on but if you look at the scope of the movie he's being he's confused the whole time i mean let alone you know the tricks that are being played on him but he just doesn't fit in to you know this life you know he's he's not think there's a comment you know mama wouldn't like me having girls around or we don't keep drink around here you know <laughs> yeah. i don't want people having sex in my motel rooms you know even though i mean that's that's what you have a motel for but yeah. um i do love the notes that he gets from his mother that's yeah. just like get that whore out of my house <laughs> <laughs> if i see that slut in my house again i'm going to kill her yeah <laughs> and there are like there's so many sandwiches calling back oh to the God. first yeah. All, loves the always making a sammy yeah <laughs> also yeah he works at a restaurant as we briefly mentioned uh the court kind of gives him that job at that it is kind of nice in the first not even first half like first third of the movie you get a little bit of uh you know procedural kind of like lived in restaurant milieu like mm-hmm. it feels pretty real you know uh the tension of working that job and the old guy in the back that commandeers everyone <laughs> and uh dennis franz you know acting like a jerk in his booth you know <laughs> oh man all the diner stuff is terrific yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah i love i love the scene where franz kind of uh taunts him and you know tries to get him to stab him tries to get him to go psycho mode Mm -hmm. and like i think up until like maybe the third act this movie just kind of it feels it's more like just being emotionally attentive to like life after prison for norman Mm -hmm. bates and trying to go back to normal and i was very surprised on how much that was you know reflected visually and was so focused on in the story but it you still get the 80s horror fun yeah in the third act but it's also like it's 80s horror fun but so attached to that classic hollywood aesthetic and even just hitchcock aesthetic it's like Franklin, I think, is in line with De Palma in that he sees Hitchcock as a genre to it to himself mm-hmm. rather than just a director to emulate. You know, he has all of his own rules and iconography and, uh, you know, he has all the trappings of his own genre. And so it makes sense that Franklin has this playground of Hitchcock to work with and also 80s slasher stuff and also a Anthony Perkins, you know, 20 years uh, after the fact and the weight that is in like the age uh, that clearly is on Perkins's face is so heavy in this movie, you know, Mm -hmm. like his aging really does a lot to him and his performance is so incredible. And like, there's so much just like pain in every look that he gives in this movie. It's a, it's a really incredible performance from him. Mm -hmm. And like the connection to the imagery, right? Especially of the first film. Cause when, you know, I think we've all said this movie is in conversation with Psycho. I mean, it's in it's in heavy, deep convert. Like it's oh yeah, as mimicking a, shots yeah, from the film and yeah, and scenarios. I mean, as as like the imagery gets ramped up that we've seen in you know the previous Psycho, kind of like the the old look of the motels that uh that Bates you know brings back, or like you know when we find out Franz Franz's character his you know car is in the swamp. You know, as the this imagery ramps up, things are getting worse and worse for him, and yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's like uh, the film opening with like the yeah. iconic <laughs> like shower murder. It's mm-hmm. like 
No one you're go you're buying a ticket to see Psycho Two. No one needs that update there. Yeah. But it's just like I don't know. It's perfect in like recognizing how like ingrained in the culture that is. And then just sort of playing off that. I think that's it's so fantastic. Yeah. And also, like, to okay. speak to the peep scene, uh, the peephole scene. It is, it is kind of funny that like uh, Richard Franklin's like, you get to see her naked this time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making the executive decision. <laughs> it's the eighties. Yeah. You got to do it. Uh, so speaking of the 80s, there were a lot of horror sequels in the 80s. And I think that kind of wraps up. We, we can come back if we have more thoughts. But mm-hmm, I wanted to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about horror sequels because mm-hmm. this one called to mind a few. And I think horror is a genre that works for sequels better than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might talk about some comedy sequels next week alongside Problem Child 2. Uh, but horror sequels, I think, are interesting because a lot of times you take one element of the first film uh, and hone in on that rather than just recreating it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, my example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, that is the film that I thought about the most other than Psycho while watching this because I think uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, you know, or with the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, rather, you have, you know, still something of a proto-slasher. Slashers aren't fully formed yet, but it's, you know, it's a slasher. Uh, and... You know, you get the group of teens and then you get the house that has Leatherface and that family of, you know, freaks. Uh, And then the second movie, the family of freaks is kind of the center of it. There's still teens that are getting into trouble, but it's like honing in more on them as like a almost camp object and the place that they live as like a fucking roller coaster or like a theme park ride. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. that's what that movie feels like. And I think this movie uh, uses the uh, Bates Motel set in a similar way. I mean, it's like if you grew up in Los Angeles going to Universal Studios or if you went once growing up, uh, <laughs> like, you know, you know, you see the iconography and like, you know, the artificiality of it, uh, but it's still there and it's still real in a filmic sense. And I think this film treats the Bates Motel in a way that, yeah, reminded me of Texas Chainsaw 2, where it's like now it's kind of more of a haunted house movie, but it's not just like within the movie. It's also you have the history of uh, the events that took place there in previous films and the time that's passed and the iconography that was made out of that location, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's and it's very similar, and there was a good amount of time in between those sequels, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a different. Well, Texas Chainsaw is also, yeah, the second one is an 80s one as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I look at the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, especially two and three, which I really like, which is kind of doing something uh, different than maybe Psycho 2 or uh, Texas Chainsaw 2. But it's like it's kind of using the format of like it's established. It's, you know, it's in a way helping establish the format for the further sequels that would come after that. Um, But it's like using the format of like Freddy Krueger and applying that to different social issues. Like famously, the second one is about, you know, a closeted Mm -hmm. gay teenager. And then the third one takes place in a teen rehab and has a lot of, um, you know, commentary on that. And like, I think those are two very intelligent movies that uses the template of a horror movie before it to kind of uh, get at different issues, but still give you that the, the fun aspects. Like there's still a lot of creative kills um, yeah, you know, two has some crazy kills. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. I mean, and like though three has some really fun ones too. Um, like uh, I'll just give one away. It is a teen rehab. There's one real brutal one where Freddie comes out with syringe hands and yeah. syringes someone to death. And uh, another one I like um, is the Amityville 
horror or Amityville horror. I don't know. Amityville 2, whatever it is. Yeah. Amityville House. I've see I've not seen the first one, but I, I, I was I was really attracted to kind of like the nastiness of this one. And I think it's a it's a little bit more nastier and colder than the original, if I had to guess. And I remember there just being at like a whole incest subplot snuck in and it's like I don't know. It's it, it was just using the house to different effects, and I, I have a written down list here. And I guess another one, uh, slumber uh, slumber party massacre too mm-hmm. is a very fun one. Also, rock and roll will never die, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, that that one's fun in that like you could just make you could make the villain what whatever you want, and that yeah. one uh, does that to a great effect. And I was thinking, is Testament of Doctor Mabuse is that the first official horror sequel? I Who guess. Knows? Oh shit! Maybe, I mean, yeah. there was probably some like horror serials True, technically, yeah. but I think that that could be. Hey, listeners, write in. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I feel like to to piggyback off what you fellows were saying, I think it's like I mean, horror is and like genre in general, like genre filmmaking in general. I feel like it's malleable enough where it's like you can play off of like a fun premise from like an original and like do something like either entirely different or like be more so in conversation. I mean, just looking through letterbox now, I mean, I think, uh, I've only seen in terms of the sequels to night of the living dead, dawn of the dead and day of the dead. But Mm -hmm. I feel like those are like, I don't know, inventive updates that tackle like different things, like with the different settings in which they take place. It also totally, at least from uh, night to dawn, completely like steps it up, you know, makes it like a, even if uh, one film isn't like that much greater than the other, the, the scope of it is so much grander. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, that happens a lot with like horror sequels. I mean, another one, like a very famous one, but I still really like it. Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that plays something similar. Never heard of it. <laughs> uh Bride of Reanimator also I uh think uh, is a, a good sequel. Um I, I wanted to shout out Halloween 2. Now I know a lot of people probably that listen to this like the Rob Zombie Halloween 2, but I'm just talking about the second Halloween movie uh because like Psycho 2 filmed by Dean Kundi, the god Ooh. who has shot so many classic films and uh yeah, I think Psycho 2 and Halloween 2 both just like I mean Halloween, the original, was also shot by Kundi uh, with Carpenter helping him out, obviously. So it's a little better looking. But uh, Halloween 2, what a good looking movie. And also a totally different approach for a sequel where it literally just starts where the first one ends. You know, and you just like get an opening set piece that takes place 30 seconds after the first movie cut to black, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's an interesting way to approach it. Uh, movie kind of peters out as it goes along. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, but the the first set piece is incredible. Yeah, I think, you know, not to get into horror sequels we don't like because we don't even really need to go there. But like something like the Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2 and 3, I feel like are not very satisfying um, just because they, they don't, they're just kind of recycling the first storyline and they don't have anything really to say about the first movie that the first movie didn't already say itself. So it's yeah. like, just bring something new to the table. It's just, it just has to be one little thing even. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of satisfying. Just one little tweak. Have you seen the exorcist sequels? I remember, see, I wanted to bring up exorcist three, which I, I have it rated four bullets on a letterbox, but I, I don't recall anything of it, but I just remember it being good. And I've heard two is also good. L- three less th- is one that everyone says is really great. Yeah. yeah. But two, two is less defended, but, um, I think has its defenders. I, I think Richard Fleischer might have directed that. Oh, possibly, okay. I might be wrong on that. 
You might, you might be. Yeah. You might be. I might be. <laughs> um, just because it's showing up, I did horror on to my letterbox <laughs> to divide to see what we got here. I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't want to spoil them too much to comedy sequels, but this is, I guess... What Letterbox is defining as a horror comedy hybrid? Gremlins two. Oh, I thought you were gonna say yeah. scary movie. Me too. <laughs> David Cross and uh, scary yeah. movie two, <laughs> sucking his own dick. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> Gremlins two fucking yeah, rules. No, Gremlins two. I mean, also like I think the original definitely falls more in like the horror like genre but like gremlins 2 like riffing on like the notion of like a big budget like sequel in its own right um exorcist 2 is by john borman oh fuck well you know what it's it's an auteur people like john borman so i'll count it some people you're not a borman fan actually i, 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 watched... I love point blank but yeah. I, I haven't seen any of his other movies deliverance kind of didn't didn't it didn't step up to the plate for me. I a lot of people are saying it. that lately. Like in the yeah. last two years, I feel like people have watched that movie and not liked it. Yeah. I, I might have to look at his other stuff. What about deliverance too? <laughs> <laughs> and it's anyone. <laughs> and, and, anyone? and, uh, instead it's the, the city dwellers who it's, it's deliverance too. And some, it's hillbillies going to the, the city, city and, and it's <laughs> things happen. Things happen. <laughs> 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 shit happens blit happens that's true say. um also the the classic universal ones i mean those were kind of in a series as they went mm-hmm. uh but like uh, you know bride of frankenstein is a great one but uh to go back to gremlins too yeah that's one that perfectly like expands the scope uh you know takes the social commentary that was on top of the stupid ya christopher uh columbus screenplay (laughs) of the first one and like really teases that out into being a big part of the second one and uh yeah i mean that movie is so fucking good gremlins too uh so many like anarchic set pieces and so many scenes that just uh express uh so well joe dante's like frustration with horror and filmmaking in general and uh you know corporatization of american film man (laughs) i mean to pop back to to psycho a hot minute in terms Mm -hmm. of sequels and like i guess there's the gus van sant uh re invention of it that i'm really curious about i mean it seems like it's it seems to me like a film school project Mm -hmm. where it's like oh direct like the i mean in film school they'd probably have you direct it differently than the original movie Mm -hmm. but like doing like an exact replica of like very iconic images seems something Mm -hmm. that like when i get around to watching it i feel like it will be neat in theory but in practice it's like there's probably there's a better version of psycho but there are two uh sequels that came after psycho 2 psycho 3 and psycho 4 and 3 is directed by anthony perkins and i think has robert forster in it so i'm uh curious about checking out that one you know what i like more than halloween 2 what halloween 3 yeah season of the witch oh yeah yeah season of the witch fucking rules directed by tommy lee wallace uh, the, uh, and starring Tom Atkins, everyone's favorite ownage classic <laughs> hero. Tom uh, Atkins ownage has come up on this pod before. I think it has, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch is a film about a like a novelty mask company that makes like a shamrock. Ma- it's like a it's like an Irish stereotype Halloween mask uh, that's gonna get you. Yeah, uh, kind of reminds you of today, right? They make you put on the mask, and have you seen it? (laughs) 
<laughs> I've seen it. I don't remember it very well. It was also a very long time ago. But it, it's like it, it's uh some like there's like some like some some brainwashing going on of yeah. children right through yeah, like, exactly. TV, and yeah. then they go to some town. I remember lightly enjoying it, but maybe maybe as a a grown man, I enjoyed it. From even what more. I remember, it's not like a necessarily great film, but yeah, uh, basically, uh, you. Uh, get to know the uh, the factory town where they're making these masks that are brainwashing children and you know the TV <laughs> is like uh, working to brainwash them and then the masks themselves have like the, the sleeper cell I guess yeah. uh, activation where the kids put the mask on and they go mask off. Cautionary tale. Yeah uh, and then Tom Atkins you know you gotta kill people. <laughs> uh, nothing to do with the Halloween franchise. What's there is no Michael Myers in this mm-hmm. movie. They just threw Halloween uh, into the title, but uh, it's a re- it's a really fun movie. I, I think the plan was just backstory on that movie was that that's how the rest of the Halloween series was going to go. It's just going to be scary stories, basically. Yeah. But uh, everyone hated it at the time, so they just went back to back <laughs> to the basics. Um. I think that's going to be it for this one. Uh, thank you very much for donating, as always. And, uh, yeah, we'll see anything exclusive for the patrons, the tea <laughs> that we can drop for the patrons that none of our unpaying listeners can have. Ooh. Well, I can't talk about what I was talking about before. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, the, so uh, in, in the main feed episode, we uh, I cut out, like, a 10-minute diver. Our middle segment was, like, fucking 25 minutes. I cut out a very long thing where we talked about racist Looney Tunes cards cartoons our take was that they're bad yeah that's pretty right? good yeah yeah i guess why I did we spend 15 minutes like <laughs> i mean gonna... they're bad but there's like there there's an interesting thing oh to be boy, taken away from watching again. them <laughs> no, I, I mean obviously you look at my diary on letterbox and you see some pretty messed up cartoons <laughs> i've ever see these cartoons that they showed us when they're kids but it seems like the jokes are for adults <laughs> Yeah, it makes me think that these kids aren't writing these shows. I was watching Animaniacs the other day, and dude is sucking off a swastika. <laughs> Pinky and the brain? <laughs> I I have an addendum to this, though, I guess. I, I knew someone, I guess they still work for, no, they don't work. They used to work for Disney. And I, I asked him jokingly, I'm like, you know, what, what do they say about Song of the South over there? And she told me. That they do, they have like a, a built-in like response already for you mm-hmm. know people, and that the reason they they kind of claim it as not racist, they claim that it's like it's actually somewhat progressive for the time because you see this black man walking around like these yokel whites, and he's he's talking better than these other people. But I guess you know the implication is that slavery was you know just all right, it wasn't too bad. I guess because I've never seen this. This is this is all. Well, there is a season of the hit podcast. You must remember this on that yeah. film and. I don't know if our listeners have overlap. Maybe two or three of them. A couple, I would guess. But I guess... Ryan listens to it. Uh, Now I'm just naming patrons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we call them out. I think that's the only one I know for sure. I can say... I whistled on that. Uh, (laughs) For sure that listens to it. Well, I just think it's interesting that like Disney claims this position that like it's not racist, but we're never going to release it. And we already have like a built-in statement for anyone who asks about it. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Uh, well tread territory, but also it is like the rides. Like Splash Mountain is mm-hmm. like a song of the South, ride, yeah, which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That is pretty funny. That, that I didn't know that till recently. I was like, fuck. And there was like a Miley Cyrus uh, Zippity Doodah song like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs>
Damn. Well, I just wanted to bring some insider knowledge. You know, I'm, I'm the insider of this podcast. Well, so. maybe we'll leave you with that song. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get taken out by Miley Cyrus. <laughs> as soon as the <laughs> uh, I hope the mouse doesn't sue us for paid content ending with its content. Goodbye.